I still turned myself off. <laughs> All right, turn to First John chapter five. First John chapter five. Actually, if you've been here for our Sunday evening series in First John. I actually decided to jump ahead to the very last verse in 1 John chapter 5, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, if I can get there myself, First John chapter 5 and verse 21 and this morning, the title of the message is Everyday Idolatry. Uh, Everyday Idolatry. And <clears throat> there's a verse here at the end of 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. If you were to just read through 1 John and not really study it, and then you were to come upon the last verse here in 1 John chapter 5, this verse might seem a little out of place. Uh, it might seem like it was just stuck in there at the last second before he was done writing it, um, but that's, that's not the case. Uh, one of the main reasons that John writes this epistle, that he's writing First John, is so that the early church could have joy in the Christian life that was full. And that's God's will for every believer, is to have uh, this Christian joy that is full as they live for Christ in this world. Um, and so he's, he's written to the early church, and by extension, this is for us as well. Um, another reason is that, that, that he's written this is that we, may, um, that we may know Christ and that we are in him. And you see that in 1 John 5, verse 13 and verse 20. But when we know that we belong to Christ, when we know that we can't lose our salvation, um, we have a joy that is full. Excuse me. One of the things that will snuff out our Christian joy in our life is idolatry. Uh, we cannot know an idol like we can know Christ. Christ is real. He's alive. He's someone we have a relationship with if we've been saved. But an idol is lifeless. In the Psalms, you can read, uh, there's, I, I can't remember the Psalms, but it talks about idols and how they have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. They have feet, but they walk not. Uh, they have a tongue, but they taste not. And so idols are lifeless, and we cannot get to know an idol. We cannot have a relationship with an idol. And so there's no joy uh, when we worship idols. And so that's why he mentions at the very end of this letter to keep themselves from idols. He wants them to have joy. He wants them to be confident in Christ and in prayer. But if they're busy serving idols, worshiping idols, things that are lifeless, they wouldn't have any joy. They wouldn't have uh, any, any peace or, or help in their life because those idols can do nothing for them, uh, but Christ can. And so they needed to keep their eyes on Christ. And we might think today that we don't bow down to a statue. I don't have a carved wooden idol in my closet, and so I am not prone to idolatry. But in our own life, if we're not careful, there is everyday idolatry that we can fall prey to. As an example of that, John wrote, if you, if you were here last Sunday evening, John wrote that we can have confidence in our prayer life, and our, our prayers must be directed 
to Christ, though. Um, but there's a danger in directing our prayers to something else. We might not actually pray to something else, but with our actions, with our thoughts, with our, with our attitude, it's as if we are worshiping an idol. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8 says this, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, we can utter the name of God in prayer with our tongues, but our hearts can be set on something else. And uh, for some, that idol in their life, it might be money, it might be power, it might be uh, their job, it might be entertainment, it could be any number of things. Uh, but what is it that we worship in our life more than God? That is our idol. What is it that we turn to first in times of trouble for our faith? Is it in God or do we turn to something else? If we do that as an idol to us, what is it that we turn to for comfort and heartache? Do we even look to Christ for comfort? Do we even look to the Holy Spirit that we have for comfort? Or do we look to something else in times of heartache? If so, that is our idol. And so this morning, I want us to consider this idea of everyday idolatry. It's something that we need to be careful of. We can all, if we're not careful, give in and worship these idols that we'll look at this morning. We're going to look at five of them. And uh, we're going to also look at some examples of people in the Bible who worshipped these five idols. Uh, and so this morning, the question is, will you flee from idols? Will you flee from worshipping idols? Um, let's look at 1 John 5, verse 21. Uh, this is also your memory verse. I made it nice and easy for you this week. 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day that you've given us, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are our God that we can trust in, that we can have faith in. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to understand that, um, Lord, there is a danger in idols. Lord, we may not have a carved idol, uh, but Lord, we need to keep our faith in you uh, in our life and uh, flee from these idols. And uh, Lord, I ask that you just help us now to put aside any distracting thoughts. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be emptied of self, Lord, and filled with your spirit. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do this, eve this morning, and uh, that's to speak to our hearts through the message. Lord, I ask that you'd, that you'd bless it. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first idol that I want to look at uh, is the idol of wealth. The idol of wealth. Turn to John chapter 12 <clears throat> and verses 4 through 6. Uh, there is an idol of wealth, and for a for the longest for for a long time, this has uh, been a very predominant idol that the devil has used to tempt believers away from faith uh, in Christ and faith in God. And it's very easy to fall into the trap of relying on wealth uh, for our life. It's very easy to fall into the trap of losing faith in God and putting our faith in our Wealth. It's a dangerous idol, and we need to flee from it, uh, from the love of money, as the Bible says. And so there's a man in the Bible who fell in love with money. Uh, he had this idol of the love of money, and it corrupted him. Uh, this man, he was able to put on a show for a while of faithfulness, but in time, because of his worship of this idol, it led him to being a traitor, somebody that is infamous, and of course that's the man Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was a disciple of Christ, but his heart was far from Christ, and he let money become his idol. He let his idol lead him to a place of death. 
In John chapter 12, in verses 4 through 6, the Bible says this, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Jesus and the disciples here, they go to the town of Bethany, and there they have dinner with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And at this point, Jesus has um, raised Lazarus from the dead, and they're coming back for a visit before Christ is crucified. They come back for this dinner with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And by the way, what a sight for the disciples to behold. Here's a man who was once dead for four days, and now they're eating dinner with him. And they're eating dinner with the one who raised him from the dead. And he's the one they get to follow. He's the one that they get to learn from, this man who raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's during this dinner that Mary, as a form of worship and as a, as a sacrifice, she has this um, box of, of ointment that's very precious. It's very valuable. And she, she loves Christ. She wants to worship him. And so she, she pours out this oil on the feet of Christ to anoint him to worship him, and this was a very expensive sacrifice, a very expensive uh, thing to do, um, but she did it because she loves Christ and his forgiveness, and as Mary pours out this oil, though, on his feet, Judas is looking in disbelief as he sees the oil being poured out, and he, 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 he speaks up, and he says, uh, why, why did you do that? We could have sold this ointment and used the money and given it to the poor. But the Bible tells us he said that he, he didn't care about the poor. He didn't say that because he had a heart for the poor. It said he had the heart of a thief. Uh, the word thief there um, it has the idea of somebody who is embezzling money. They're taking money that doesn't belong to them for their own selfish purposes. And so uh, he's upset. Um, he looks at this scene as Mary pours out this oil, something that is a form of worship, and he looks on in disgust and disbelief. And the reason is because as that oil is being poured out, he doesn't see worship. He sees his money flowing away. He sees his, uh, his opportunity to get rich fleeing from him, and it makes him upset. It makes him mad, and it's because he was a thief, and his idol was money. He fell in love with money. We also know, of course, that Judas betrays Christ for 30 pieces of silver for more money. He thought more money would make him happy. He thought if he was just a little bit more wealthy, he could accomplish his goals, his heart's desires. He was more in love with money than he was with Christ. And so when it came between deciding if he was going to follow Christ or money, it was a no-brainer for Judas that he was going to follow money because that was his God. That was his idol. In the end, though, we read that Judas, he was struck to the heart with guilt. He took his own life. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, says this. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went 
and hanged himself. It says he repented there. That repentance was not a repentance that led to life. It was not a repentance that led to salvation. He felt guilt for his sin because he knew he was wrong, but his guilt led him to death. And it's because he had a worldly remorse. He did not have a godly uh, remorse. And the greater sin of Judas is that he did not look to Christ, whom he spent three years with, knowing Christ could forgive him, knowing Christ could um, redeem him. I think about Peter, who also denied the Lord three times. He went out sorrowful and weeping, but he knew he could run back to Christ, who would forgive him and redeem him. But we don't see that with Judas. We see his guilt leading to death and shame because it was not a, a godly repentance. Uh, and the greater sin of Judas is that, not that he necessarily betrayed Christ, but that he forgot that Christ could forgive him and he did not turn to Christ for forgiveness. Instead, he tried to escape his guilt instead of looking to the one who could forgive him. Judas served the idol of money. He fell in love with it. And as the Bible says, the love of money, it's the root of all evil. It's greed and discontentment in our life that leads us to do things uh, that, uh, that are wicked and that are evil. And we might say, well, I don't worship money. I don't, I don't love it uh, like it's an idol. But if we're not careful, we can be guilty of worshiping the idol of wealth. We can get ourselves in a trial or a hardship, and instead of looking to Christ in faith, the first place that we turn is, well, if I just made more money, I'd get myself out of this situation. And we never once pray to God and ask for His help. Does our joy disappear when our money does? Our joy is not rooted in our wealth. It is rooted in Christ. And it does not matter what we have or what God has given us. Uh, we can lose everything. And if, if, uh, if we have faith in God and trust in Christ, we can still have joy. But if our joy, if our idol becomes wealth, our joy is going to flee along with that idol when it disappears from us. Of course, money is essential in our life. God gives us um, exactly what we, are, what we need. But if we are not careful, we can begin to live our life in pursuit of more money, in pursuit of the dollar, instead of our king, instead of Christ. Money can be a great tool that we can use to serve God, but we must understand it is God that we are serving and not our, our wealth. And so we need to keep ourselves from the idolatry of the love of wealth, of, of, uh, of the love of money. We need to run from it. Not run from money, but run from the love of it uh, and the worship of it. Money is not our God. Uh, and so we need to remember that. In the hard times and the good times, we worship God. Number two, the idol of work. The idol of work. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And uh, this one is a little trickier. It sounds odd. Work is good. Work is an important part of our life. And we actually bring glory to God when we work hard. A person who does not work hard uh, a person who does not work and does not feed their family, the Bible says, is worse than an infidel. Uh, and so it's an abomination to God when we are lazy and when we do not take care of our family and our loved ones. But if we're not careful, like anything good in our life that God blesses us with, we can make an idol out of work. We can make an idol out of something that God meant for good. And there's a woman in the Bible who does that, and that is uh, Martha. Martha. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. The Bible says this, 
Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha, they heard that Jesus was on the way to their house, and so they get ready for his visit. And when Jesus arrives, Mary goes to the feet of Jesus with the disciples, and she sits and she listens to Jesus as he teaches and as he speaks. And while she's doing that and the disciples are doing that, uh, the Bible tells us that Martha is busy inside um, preparing the meal and serving the guests. Uh, and she's not outside listening to Jesus speak. And Martha was trying to be a good hostess for her guests. And I don't think we can blame Martha for the desire of wanting to be hospitable, of wanting to be a good hostess. There's nothing wrong with hospitality. In fact, that's something else we're also commanded to be is hospitable to guests, hospitable to neighbors. And that was Martha's desire. It was a good desire. It was a good work that she wanted uh, to do. But what Martha missed was that the words of Christ, the lesson that he was teaching was better at that time than serving. It was more important at that time than serving. It was it was not a bad thing for Mary to sit at Jesus' feet. Martha was upset. Mary's not helping. She's not uh, serving like I am. It wasn't a bad thing for Mary to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to the Savior speak and to learn from Him. If we're not careful, we can become just like Martha, though. We can get so busy doing a work, even a work for Christ, serving Him. We can get so busy in what we are doing that we lose sight of who we're doing it for, that we're doing it for the Savior. We can get so busy making sure we check off all of the responsibilities that we need to do and making sure we do it right so that others are impressed and forget that we are serving Christ. And He is the one we are uh, living for, not the applause and the praise of men, but for Christ. And so even work can keep us from sitting at Jesus' feet when we begin to worship it instead of Him. That's when work becomes an everyday idol. Uh, there are many today who live for their jobs. That's all they live for. We live today in a culture, uh, some have called it a hustle culture. You have to go, 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 uh, so that you can become who you want to be, and God has no place in the picture. Uh, busyness becomes more important than worship. And again, this is a tricky idol to detect because we do need to be busy. We do need to be working. We do need to work hard in our life. But we should not let it take the place of our worship of God. It should not become more important to us than serving our Creator. And so this morning, we need to be careful that work does not become an idol. Number three, we see the idol of worldly pleasure. The idol of worldly pleasure. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. This one is pretty obvious. People have been making idols out of pleasure for a long time. In ancient societies, they had gods to all sorts of things. Gods of love and pleasure and laughter and comedy, all sorts of things like that. But even today, we can make gods out of pleasure. And there's a man in the Bible who made an idol out of pleasure. 
This man, he was once a faithful follower of Christ. He was once a missionary who served alongside Paul, who was busy doing the work of Christ. But the idol of worldly pleasure took the place of Christ in his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 <clears throat> says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, <clears throat> Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. <clears throat> Paul had some men who would travel with him and help him in his ministry. Um, one of those men was Demas. Demas was no doubt a faithful and committed helper to Paul. In that passage, Paul is asking Timothy, just before that, he says in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Paul is earnestly asking Timothy, Do all that you can to come to me quickly, to my, to my aid, to my help. Uh, Paul is asking Timothy that because Paul is in prison. His life is coming to a close there. He's tired. He's weary. Demas was once that person who was helping him while he was in prison, bringing things to him. But Demas forsook him while he was in prison uh, because, he, because Paul was a faithful missionary for Christ. And so he asked Timothy to come and comfort him because Demas had forsaken him, having loved this present world. Uh, and so Demas, Demas began to fall in love with the world and the pleasures in it. <clears throat> Rome was a very big and bustling city in this time with all sorts of pleasures. Uh, <clears throat> there would have been every temptation imaginable, imaginable available to Demas in the city of Rome. Anything he could have wanted to do in that time, it was available to him in Rome. And Rome and the pleasures of Rome became more important to Demas than helping Paul do the work of Christ. And it was not long before Demas forsook Paul. He gave up on Paul. And instead, he found it better to live for the pleasures of this world. Perhaps he thought he was wasting his time on this old man who was sitting in prison writing letters that were going to amount to nothing. Uh, but who is it that uh, we remember the most? It's Paul for his faithfulness. And Demas is, uh, is almost forgotten. Uh, the only thing we remember about him is that he forsook Paul in his time of need. <clears throat> Demas loved the present world. If we're not careful, there are all sorts of worldly pleasures that can lure us away from our calling to serve Christ and live for Him, whether it's lust or entertainment uh, or even things that are fun. The devil can use anything to distract us. And uh, worldly pleasures can bring us to the point where we abandon the calling of God on our life. We can, get, we can be passionate about the work of Christ one day, like Demas was, and then we fall in love with the pleasures of this world, and the pleasures become our God the next. I think the key to defeating this idol in our life is to keep our eyes on the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things excuse me, shall be added unto you. Jesus instructed us to seek his kingdom first, and that's for a reason. Demas got his eyes off the kingdom of God and got his eyes on the kingdom of Rome, onto the world. And when our focus is drawn away from eternity, and when our focus is placed on the here and now, uh, we begin to worship this idol of pleasure. And so we need to keep our focus on God's kingdom, on the eternal. There is nothing wrong with enjoying things in this world. God has placed us here. Uh, there is nothing wrong with having fun. We need to have fun in our life. But those things should not become an idol to us that we worship and live for. Uh, what is our perspective on life? 
Do we have an eternal perspective, or are we only consumed about the here and the now? If so, um, we are in danger of falling prey to this idol. Number four, the idol of worldly possessions. The idol of worldly possessions. Turn to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. This idol is also far too common. It's not too undifferent from the last idol, but it's possessions. And if we're not careful, our things can have us instead of us having things. And there's a man in the Bible who lost track of the fact that God could take care of him and his needs because he got his eyes on this idol of things, of possession. He became greedy and discontent with what God had given him, and he lived to serve more things and getting more things. And this man was Achan. Achan, in Joshua chapter 7, in verse 1, the Bible says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Uh, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Then look at Joshua 7, verse 19. 19 through 26, the Bible says, and Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them. And took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Joshua and the Israelites, of course, they go up to battle against the city of Ai, and there many of the soldiers died. And the reason is that Achan, in the previous battle, in the battle at Jericho, God, uh, of course, gave Israel the victory over the city of Jericho, and God instructed Israel that they were to leave all of the spoils in the city of Jericho as a sacrifice to God. They were to leave it there and not take anything with them. Uh, but Achan did not listen. He was one of the soldiers. He was the one of the ones that went and helped conquer the city of Jericho. And while he's walking amongst the rubble of the city, he sees some items. He sees a, a garment. He sees some gold and some silver. And he decides to take it and put it in his pockets. And he goes to his tent and he buries the, the, the things that he took that did not belong to him. The fact that he was hiding his possessions shows us he understood and he knew he was guilty. 
There was no uh, excuse for Achan. He understood he was guilty. He knew it was wrong, and yet he chose to do it anyway. And then Israel goes to battle against Ai, and there um, many of the soldiers of Israel are killed because of Achan's sin, because of Achan's greed and his worship of these possessions. And so Achan is taken out, him and all of his belongings, his family, they're taken out, they're stoned to death, and they're killed because of the sin of Achan, because he decided to be greedy and not listen to the Lord. And by the way, when we sin, uh, sometimes our sin affects those around us. It affects others. We might think it only affects us, but it affects our family, our loved ones, and so we need to run from sin. The, the God of things does not care about us, uh, even though Achan cared about these things, uh, but it led him to his death. And so in his pursuit of more, uh, it's kind of ironic, he was pursuing more possessions, in his pursuit of more possessions, he lost all of his possessions because he got his eyes off of God. If he would have just been patient and listened to God, um, the next battle that they partake in, God allows Israel to take whatever they want, uh, to take of the spoils of war. And Achan could have had the things that he desired, but he was not patient, he was discontent, he was greedy, and he was worshiping the idol of worldly possessions. This morning, do possessions have your heart? There are many who live their life just to get more things, to be able to do more things. If they could just keep up with the Joneses, they have to have the latest and the greatest. There are so many people who will spend money that they don't have to buy things that they don't need with money that they don't have, and then they can't pay it back and they're in debt, and it's because they worship the idol of possessions, all to keep up appearances, all to look like their neighbors uh, and the Joneses. We cannot take any of that stuff with us, though, when we die. And so those who spend their whole life living for things are going to end up in eternity with none of those things uh, because they have not been laying up treasures in heaven. There's nothing wrong, again, with having things, but do those things have us? Are, are they all that we live for? Is that where our joy comes from and how much stuff that we have? Uh, or is our joy in Christ? Do we use the things that God has blessed us with to be a blessing to others, to serve others, to glorify God? Do our things have us? Uh, or are, are we worshiping God and being thankful for what he has given us? Number five, and this is the final one, the idol of what I want. The idol of what I want in Luke chapter 15. Turn to Luke chapter 15 and verse 25 through 32. You could also say our self-will. Uh, Luke chapter 15, or, yeah, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 25. <clears throat> the Bible says, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what, things, what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. 
It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We see the idol of what I want. It's my heart and my passions. Sometimes our desires can become an idol to us when they keep us from God's will, God's best, his joy in our life. When our wishes keep us from following the will of God, they become an idol to us. The older brother here of the prodigal son, he's a great example of this. <clears throat> we know the story, the prodigal son, he is unhappy with his life. He wants his inheritance early so that he can go out and party and do what the world does. He thinks it will bring him joy. He thinks it will bring him pleasure, and it does for a season. And in time, his money runs out. Uh, he, his friends leave him because he has no more money now. And he's left in the pig pen, and he realizes where he's at. He realizes what he's done. He realizes that the state he's in now is worse than what he thought was bad at his father's house. And so the son gets up, he goes home, and he knows that if he goes home, um, he can ask his father for forgiveness. And, and his father does forgive him. His father runs and welcomes him home. And then the father is, of course, happy and excited. His son has come back home from this life of rebellion. And his father throws this party. Everyone's happy and celebrating, except for the older brother. The older brother who stayed home. And uh, who, he did not uh, leave home and party. He did what was expected of him in the house. But we see that the older son, um, he did not realize that he had all that he ever needed. He wanted more. He, what, he was like his younger brother. He just didn't take the step of leaving home to go get it in rebellion. And so he had this, um, he had this discontentment bottled up inside him, whereas the younger brother let it out. And so he had the same problem as his younger brother. He did not have what he wanted. He did not, uh, he, he thought he needed uh, the things that he wanted, and so he became discontent. And he, he started to accuse his father and say, why did you do this for him? He, he did all these things. Uh, he does not deserve this. And he became angry at his father, bitter at his father, bitter at his brother. How often, though, in our own life uh, do we get mad and bitter at God for not giving us something that we think we deserve? God has blessed somebody else. Um, we've been faithful. We've been doing what's expected of us with a bad attitude, though. But we won't mention it. We won't admit that. But we've been doing what's expected of us, and then God blesses somebody else. And we get angry, and we get upset, and we get mad at God and bitter at God because He hasn't done what we want Him to do in our life. And it's because we are selfish. And selfishness is a very nasty idol. Uh, when we are the gods of our own life, thinking that we deserve Anything we want, we become very unthankful people, like this older brother. Uh, this morning, has selfishness crept in? Perhaps God has blessed another believer uh, in their life and is doing something in their life, and we get angry because God, it seems like God's not doing anything in our life. And it seems like God is not blessing us, and so we get mad at God. Uh, but we need to realize God has done far more for us than we deserve. Um, and when we think that we need all of these things that we want and we don't get those things, it's very easy to become mad at God. Perhaps if we were more humble, though, and less selfish and stopped getting mad at God for blessing others and started praising God for his blessing in others', li in others lives, uh, we would be more grateful in our own life for what God has given us. This morning is what you want, an idol. 
We do, have you gotten to a place where you think you get to demand things from God and get angry at Him if He doesn't give it? Uh, if so, we have this idol and we need to flee from it. And we need to instead be grateful for where God has us at and with what God has given us. And we should, be, uh, we should take time to be more content and thankful. And that's how we defeat this idol of what I want. This morning, there are everyday idols in our life. They fight for our heart. They fight for our devotion. Um, these are things that we can fall prey to if we are not careful. We may not carve an actual idol out and physically bow down and worship it. But again, with our heart attitude, if we're not careful, uh, we, can, we, we can begin to worship these things. But this morning, as John wrote, we need to flee from idols. We need to flee from the love of money. We need to flee from um, letting work take priority over worship. We need to flee from lo the love of worldly possessions and pleasures, instead using those things to glorify God and serve Him. And we need to flee from the idol of selfishness and what I want. This morning, we flee from idols. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day that you've given us and for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in our life.